Today's episode is brought to you by Plowshares Solos, a reading subscription that delivers long-form stories and essays right to your e-reader. Longer than a typical short story, shorter than a novel, Plowshares Solos are the perfect length to enjoy on your commute, drinking your morning coffee, or whenever. Uh, Plowshare Solos make picking out your next read easy. Every month you'll get a new story or essay delivered automatically to your Kindle, Nook, smartphone, iPad, whatever, for just $10. Visit pshares.org slash nerdist to buy a year's worth of reading right now. The stuff in Plowshares is really good. Um, They're published by Emerson College, my alma mater. Uh, Plowshares is a world-renowned literary journal that's been publishing award-winning literature since 1977. That is not an overstatement. They actually do really good stuff. Uh, subscribe today. Visit p-s-h-a-r-e-s pshares.org slash nerdist today. Now entering nerdist.com. Hey, we've got a bunch of live Nerdist Writers panels coming up, and I hope you'll come out and support me and the writers and A26LA. The first one for which tickets are already available is August 23rd at Meltdown uh, with Mark Guggenheim, co-creator of Arrow. Uh, He's writing a bunch of comics right now, but he's a great dude. Corinne Marshall, who created Casey Undercover. She's also worked on a bunch of sitcoms. Laura Valdivia who is hilarious, worked on Ben and Kate, worked on Weird Loners, and our old pal Evan Blyweiss, who is on Matador, Vampire Diaries, started out on The Shield. He's got great stories to tell. So go to the uh, Nerd Melt calendar and get your tickets for that. Also, we're doing a special event in Boston on August 31st uh, at Brookline Booksmith with Joe Hill, who has been on my wish list for a long time. He's a great writer. Great comics writer, great novelist, great short story writer. Uh, so come see me and Joe Hill at Benefits 826 Boston. Tickets are only five bucks. Uh, and I think uh, Joe will uh, be a great guest. To find out about all of these, here's what you do follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. That's your best bet. Uh, I also started a Tumblr for the Nerdist Writers Panel. It goes like this writerspanel.tumblr.com writerspanel.tumblr.com follow it I will update sporadically about these live things uh, and we'll have them all listed there with links to tickets as they come up but we're going to do two more in September definitely maybe three more uh, some in October uh, and then a whole bunch of New York panels as well in October so you don't want to miss any of those they're going to be a lot of fun as ever thank you for listening enjoy the podcast Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival in Austin, uh, season four, which was this year, first weekend in June 2015. We had so much fun at ATX this year. It was bigger and better than it ever was. I don't know why you're not coming next year. Go to atxfestival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to atxfestival.com. intimate with Amy because obviously tonight is going to be a very large event and we thought that was going to be really cool just to give her a setting to have a nice casual conversation in a small room so I'm glad that all of you are here we're really excited for it I'm going to intro Danielle Nussbaum who is moderating come on in from Entertainment Weekly there you go thank you yeah hi guys Thanks for getting up so early. I know a lot of people were here very, very early, and apparently this is very, very, very early for Amy. So thank you in advance. So I don't need to say much to introduce her, right? You guys could all do this for me. But um, she was a writer-producer on Roseanne, worked on Veronica's Closet, The Return of Jezebel James, before creating Gilmore Girls. You guys heard of it. 
and the very sadly cut off way too early Bunheads. Um, she and her husband also produced the show Violet on Broadway. I don't know if you guys know about that. So, um, Amy, come on up. Grab your, I'll hand you your coffee. No, the coffee's the most important thing. <laughs> Hello. this? Huh? A little phallic? Huh? <laughs> Just saying. My grandma Splenda. A little Splenda in the coffee. A little cancer in the morning. <laughs> Sorry, Splenda. I know you don't cause cancer. I know you're perfectly safe. <laughs> So um, let's start with the recent Gilmore Girls resurgence. Not that it ever left, but it's all anyone wants to talk about. So thanks to the power of Netflix and the shift in our brain chemistry to only want to binge things, we have a whole new generation of Gilmore Girls and boys. I have a feeling a lot of people here have been watching forever, but if anyone just discovered it, lucky you. Um, Amy, what do you think it is about the show that makes it sort of stand this test of time, but also makes it so damn addictive. Um, wow. Something really bad's going to happen here, but that's okay. Um, I think it's the humor, kind of. Because I think, like, um, the idea, because life has a lot of um, horrifying things in it, but it has a lot of, like, just ridiculously funny things, too. And I think that when you put the context of, like, a mother-daughter together, obviously there's going to be growing pains and angst and oi and the boy and he broke up with me and ugh and, 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 but if you put the humor into it which is how everybody kind of goes through life because otherwise we would all be like, fuck the bats we'd be just jumping off that bridge um, all I've been hearing about is the bats by the way, I have not seen the bats yet um uh, I think that I think that humor is what is sort of um, keeps it uh, energetic and keeps it kind of hopeful and keeps it and, and it and I think that that's how we get through life. So that's kind of how they get through life. Or I'm wrong, but that's it's ten o'clock, people. I could be like talk to me at noon. I could have a whole ex- existential like there's a brain thing. It's like it's not. It's ten. It's humor. Everybody show up at noon. We're gonna mm-hmm. go, whole different panel, whole different answers. Um, are you surprised that it was this enduring when you were writing it? Did you feel yes, like completely? Well, you know, as a writer, you you're, you're, you expect first of all, you expect to be fired immediately, <laughs> like like before it gets on the air. You expect like, well, I'm gonna be fired from this. Clearly that's not going to work. And, um, and especially this show, because this show was a little different um, for the WB at the time. It wasn't really in their wheelhouse. So there were a lot of questions about it, a lot of like, um, geez, you know, we kind of do it this way on our other shows. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't your other shows. So, um, which, you know, they love when they hear that. Um, they love it. Um, but they, you know, God love them. They were, they were kind of like, they were kind of in a renegade mood and feeling like, well, you know, until she really fucks up, let's, let's not get rid of her. Um, so just the fact that it stayed on the air. And then when we premiered, of course, we were on against Friends and Survivor. Remember they put those two yep. on together? Well, you guys don't because you're all eight. But trust me, it was a very big thing. Um, so nobody expected us to do anything. Like, nobody expected us to watch, get watched or viewed at all. Um, and then they moved us, which we were like, yay! And then they put on this little show called American Idol, <laughs> which was great. Um, so then you thought, okay, well, now we're not going to make it. And then we did. And then you think, okay, now we're off the air. We'll all go on and we'll meet each other in the actor's home, you know, and have, you know, bingo together. And yet, I don't know, you, you know, luckily we lived in a time of DVDs, and that sort of kept it going. And then Netflix, God love them, you know, put it on one day. I didn't even know what was going on Netflix. No one I told found, you? I found out when everyone else did. There really? Was a, there was a thing on Huffington. Look who's coming to Netflix. I'm like, what? How do you? Uh, hello? So I have no idea. Like, you know, they don't have to tell me anything. They, you know, the studio owns it. They sell it. And then, and then now I walk around, and there's 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds! 20-year-olds. Oh, I know. Well, the- Embryos coming up to me going, oh, my God. Lorelai and Roy, I'm like, you are just so young <laughs> and full of hope and life. 
editorial assistant in our office, Molly, has been doing a Gilmore Girls watch, and she basically has to stop every few minutes or ask us, like, what is this reference? What is this reference? What is this reference? When you were doing the show, did you get network notes on, like, you can't put those references. They're not going to stand the test of time. We had one reference fight. And only one. Only one. Over Oscar Levant. <laughs> and they, they said, nobody's, nobody's going to know who Oscar Levant is. I said, trust me, there's 20 gay kids in, in Ohio <laughs> who know everything about Oscar Levant. This is for them. And I said, I said, and by the way, on the next page, there's a Justin Timberlake reference. So if you don't get Oscar, you're going to get Justin. So it was, it was and, and they, they kind of fought, they kind of fought, and then they just gave up. Because it was sort of like, really? Because it, so, it goes by so fast and furious that like if you, that's kind of the fun of it. Like if you get it, great. If you don't get it, you can either look it up or ignore it because something else is coming like in two more seconds. So that was kind of it. It was Oscar Levant, and they, I think they just said, uh, well, why, why, you know? Well, I feel like when the song We Didn't Start the Fire came out, it's a Billy Joel song. It <laughs> came out a long time ago. My dad and I sat, and he, so wrote, he wrote down all the words for me because I didn't know what any of the references are. Did you? Re- it was like an education. Did you realize you would be educating future generations in oh, pop God, culture? Oh, God, no. I, I feel... Um, can I put this down? Because it's actually cold coffee with Amy. Um, I'm going to put this down. Uh, um, no, uh, educating... No. A- any sort of passing on of knowledge was absolutely not uh, intended at all or thought about because I have very little. So I was just sort of like uh, it was it was really just to me it was the way these two women communicate. You know, these are two women who uh, they live in a world of, of information and, and they read and they um, are interested in, you know, what the hell's out there and they watch a lot of movies and so they have this thing in their head. So it just felt sort of organic that this shit would come out of their mouth and uh, it's just a, a treat if you get it. And, so, and there, were, there, were, now, there were some references in it that were just for us, but we, we really tried to not do a ton of that. We tried to like really not... It, it, I, I, I'm not a fan of shows that are like, look how clever we are. It's just for us. We don't care if you get it. You know, I, I, I wanted it to be something that everybody would enjoy, not just me with, you know, a bottle of bourbon in the middle of the night. Which is also a great yeah, way seriously, to enjoy Yeah, seriously, there's nothing wrong with bourbon in the middle of the night. Um, which is how I was enjoying them last night. Um, what are some pop culture references that are happening right now that you're sort of sad to be missing riffing on? Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> really, ten o'clock in the morning? Uh, I, I don't know. It's more like there's, there's, there's. It's more like there's, there's been like political stuff that would have been fun to the Hasbert thing. Oh my God, how great would that be to be able to talk about that? Because that, that, that'll, you know, someone else will be uh, up on charges by the time I ever write anything again. So it was, it was sort of like. Um, there's moments like that. There's moments like uh, political or, you know, Dan and I um, sometimes will be traveling or something and we'll see something and we're like, ah, that would have been great for Stars Hollow. <laughs> ah, shit. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, so it's more, it's more that kind of thing rather than like, oh, I would have loved to have written about, you know, I don't know. Um, like, uh, although Amanda Bynes is, is back out again. So I'm just saying, what a treat. Christmas has come early. That's all I can say. She's out and she still looks crazy. Like, like they got her out and the picture of her, it's like, no, you should just turn her around and put her right back in. She, there's nothing, nothing happened there. We're going to have to uh, start a new show so you can talk about these things. Do you keep a, f- a file of these things? Do you write them down or you just say them no, to each that'd be, other? That would be way like, too oh, organized. Shit. I have a friend like I have a friend who writes books, and I, I was saying to her, like, like what is your like system? I don't know. Um, and and cause I'm, I'm always looking for a system, which I don't have. And she goes, well, I've got a hat box, and I put a bunch of ideas in the hat box, and then when I'm looking for an idea, I go into my hat box, and I pull out ideas, and I'm like, that wouldn't work for me at all. Because first of all... I use my hat boxes and for hats, not random ideas. And also, like, I try doing that, like, you know, keep a notebook by your, and I have like 50,000 notebooks. I never know what's in them or where anything is. It's so if it's uh, hopefully, if I lose half of them, I get half new the next day. 
Well, you are meticulous with creating these worlds, these alternate universes. You know, on Bunheads, you were very specific about casting the dancers and, and every sort of bit of that from experience in your life. Um, and Stars Hollow, obviously, was a magical snow globe of a universe. I came up with that last night. I had to put that in there. Um, you, you, pull, you pull that out of the hat box? I did. Right out of the hat box. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to building a world, where do you start? Well, you always start with your characters, like your main characters. I mean, it, the, the, the Stars Hollow becoming as big as it did was an organic sort of evolution. Um, but it was, you know, the, the, the show was sold like this. Uh, I kind of want to do a show about a mother and daughter and they're more like friends. <laughs> that was the pitch. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And it, it, so, so it became like, who are these women? What are they to each other? Where do they live? Where do they work? What do they love? And because Lorelai came from such a um, stringent uh, world, rules and, and wealth and money, and you dress like this and you talk like this and you join this club and you marry this boy, I knew that I wanted her to be someplace that felt very warm and... Um, I kept saying candy colored, you know, that like everything looked like it was, they had sugar on it. You know, when I was describing Stars Hollow, I'm like, I want everything to look like it has sugar on it. The questions you get like, so you want us to really put sugar on it? Are we, are we frosting the gazebo? It's like, no, it's like a thing. It's like sugar. And they're like, okay. And they're backing away. Um, but it, I want, I, so, so you want that feeling of sort of um, warmth and, and, and a place like if I had to pick the perfect place for me to live, where would it be? And, and, and then from there, then you've got to put people in the town. And you don't want it to be just like nice people who are like, hey, how are you? Because that's a boring scene. So you have to like find those people that, you know, enhance what, what you're doing with the, two, with the two girls. So it really, it all starts from what your, what your center and should go out from there. So what were some of the first physical locations you had in mind in the town? What were some of the buildings? Did you see Luke's first? Did you see their house first when you started envisioning that stuff? Well, you know, it, 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 it was a weird process because we shot up in, in Toronto. Um, and, you know, so you have like a, there was like a block of like a, something that looked sort of old and quaint. And then, you know, and then there was, you know the Starbucks. Um, so it, we had this little block and there were a, cu- a couple of cute things, you know, that's where we found like the, we built the antique store and we built, you know, which was based on a store that, um, Dan and I used to go to, uh, called Bountiful, which is unfortunately closing now because they're all good things die. And, um, um, but, it, but where she just literally stacked everything, you know, up to the ceiling. We thought, well, that's a great thing to shoot through. Um, and then when we finished the pilot, they wanted the show to shoot in Toronto and they wanted us to be in LA. And I said, I, so you're moving me to Toronto? And they're like, no, we're, you're in LA. The show's in Toronto. I'm like, ha ha ha. How are you going to separate me from the show? I don't understand. I'm got to be there. I got to be on set. I got to be, what would it's, you got to move me to Toronto. They're like, you want to live in Toronto? I go, no, I don't want to live in Toronto, but you got to move me to Toronto if you can put the show there. So <laughs> luckily it was at Warner Brothers that actually has quite a lovely, it's got a town square back lot, you know, not every studio has that. So we sort of walked out to the back lot and said, but look, we can shoot it here. There's a gazebo. And there already was. There was a gazebo. It's where they shot Music Man and uh, Dukes of Hazard, huh? Um, so it, 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 it sort of started with look at this sort of raw space. And then from there, we, we, we knew we needed a Luke's. This worked for Luke's. We knew we needed a Kim's Antiques. That worked for Kim's Antiques. And then we just sort of went from there. It's like, well, you're going to need a supermarket. They got to eat, you know, and it's sort of, then we got dosy. So it's sort of, it started with the necessity of not being in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> So it's Canada. That, it's that, Canada. That, it, it is Canada. It is Canada. <laughs> I know, Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> is there anything you loved while you were putting this universe together? And it could be Gilmore Girls and Bunheads, too, that you had to sort of lose that fell on the cutting room floor. Or did you get to sort of include everything as you went along and just expanded? 
No, I think I think we got it all in. I think we got it all in. Because if, if something didn't work and we loved it, we'll just do it later. You know, it's it's it it, it was a it was a very we were we were incredibly lucky. The time that we did Gilmore Girls, we, to Gil, today, you don't sell Gilmore Girls. Nobody buys it. People people just it would. I'm telling you, wouldn't happen. And. Uh, and and the WB was at a point then where they were feeling very rock and roll, and they were feeling very much like we're anti-network. Like they would have like anti-Emmy parties at, at the Emmys, mostly because they didn't get any Emmy nominations. But had they had they gotten a couple, I think they would have changed that rule. But um, they, you know they were feeling very much like we want original voices in there, and you know they had Joss Whedon and they had you know Dawson Creek, and so they were sort of like really looking for that. So it was a time where a, a network was not looking for a cohesive brand necessarily. Their brand was about the individual voices of the show. So we were very uh, lucky because we were there at that time and they kind of just left us alone. Um, which also never happens, you know, anymore. So we kind of just ran wild, like crazy meth kids <laughs> around the Warner Brothers lot inventing things, doing things that um, casting was very different back then. Back then you didn't have to go through this this like this Nuremberg trial of tapes and 50 people marching out there and it's like hmm, it's like, do they have a brother? It's like, oh my god. You know, back then you could say, hey there's this kid named Milo and he's adorable and I don't know what the part is yet but I want him on the show and they would sign him. Is like, that how that happened? Yes. Yeah, it was sort of like Milo, adorable. Let's just get him before somebody else does. Let's sign him, and and we got to do that a lot. You know, we had Liza coming back a lot and Sean Gunn coming back a lot. So like I don't know, season three or something, we went to them and said, "We're going to these people so much. T- let's tie them up so we don't lose them." And they went, "Okay." You know, so it was like it was a very sort of um, it was more of a time of like easy sort of like the creative process sort of going I mean there were always fights but they were mostly about money because we had none and because every time we put snow there ER would wash it away because they were right there like they it was Stars Hollow and the L was above us and like they'd come in at night and hose everything down and wash all our snow away and we're like you have money we don't John what are you doing George George help us um no help, by the way. Not an ounce of snow from Clooney, ever. So I'm just saying. It's not too late. Yeah. Enjoy your wedding, but thanks for the no snow. Um, so it was, it was a, but it was a very sort of creative, um, uh, loose time for us. And we really kind of like were the spoiled kids that got to do kind of whatever we wanted as long as we could pay for it. Um, so just going to sort of harken back to something you said a few minutes ago to oh, just Jesus. Debbie Downer, this situation, but Ooh. yes, all good things must die, unfortunately. So you went through this amazing creative period. You could do what you want, and then suddenly... I'm not dying. I'm not dying. <laughs> is that what you're asking? Why does it look like that? I was going to say in the morning. The Everyone end. looks like they're dying at 10 in the morning. <laughs> what... Just need a little Bobby Brown cover-up. That's all I need. <laughs> and then everything will be different. <laughs> I swear. How does it feel now, looking back on not being able to do that last season? Does it feel just as raw as it did then? Have you? Do you have a different perspective on it now? You know, I was very... Look, the last season was the last season... Shit happens, you know. The, the, we left it in in the hands of our writers. I mean, so it wasn't like they went out and they got like you know Saddam Hussein to come in and run the <laughs> last season. We had we had good, smart, strong writers who had been with us, tra- trained with us. So we felt like, well, you know, if if we can't be there, at least it's in hands of people that we know are going to honor the spirit of what we what we set up. Um, it's always yeah, it's always a bummer when you don't get to end it, you know, and I, I, I had, you know, hoped maybe that there would have been a call, you know, hey, it's the last episode, you want to come back, and, and there wasn't. <laughs> but that's okay, that's not the way it works in Hollywood, because uh, in Hollywood, it's, there's rules, so um, I just don't like rules, it's just my thing. Um, so yeah, but, it, but you know, 
I, I'm so like incredibly amazed at what we got to do. Um, and and the legacy is kind of there, clearly. And I'm still like on speaking terms with the entire cast. When does that happen? So it's sort of like it kind of was just this wonderful golden period, and I don't really sit there and think, oh, if I had just, you know, I sort of feel like organically things happened the way they were going to happen, and um, and now I just need a little Bobby Brown cover-up. <laughs> that's really all I regret, is not putting on cover-up this morning. That's kind of... <laughs> It's kind of my one big regret. It's good to only have that regret. I'm very shallow. <laughs> if you thought I was deep, you're so wrong. Nothing deep here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You get, fo- you get photo approval. Oh, my fine. God. It's like an American sniper down there. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about writing. Um, the... The dramedy right now is such a dying TV genre. I know, and, and it's, it's so it's, fucked up. It's the Sorry. worst thing ever. I, I, pro- I promised my husband I would try to score less because, because <laughs> I'm, I'm apparently I'm setting an example for the youth of America. <laughs> so you're all doomed. Um, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I know. It's, I'm just. I agree with you, and I think it's really sad. I, I never. I, I didn't understand because I thought like you know when Friends went on, everybody tried to do Friends, and when Seinfeld was on, everyone tried to do Seinfeld. And I thought, well, maybe you know because we were getting some you know tips of the hat. I mean, we weren't you know we weren't a giant show, but we were we were recognized. Um, there would be more a hunger for dramedy because the best dramas have comedy in them. You know, Sopranos was funny. Breaking Bad was. Funny, like these were shows that had tragedy and guns and blah and awful things, but there was real like laughs. You know, The Wire had laughs. The Wire, there were laughs in The Wire, and now it's just like it, it feels like yeah, like it's very separate. Like there's either like comedy or there's like, and then the bullet entered here. But you know, people really with Gilmore Girls on on Netflix and a lot of these shows coming back, you know. Buffy, people watching these shows from the 90s and early 2000s, there's obviously an audience for it, so what is it about networks or audiences that these shows aren't being brought to television? What do you think? That Why aren't dramedies being received, well-received anymore? Received well, I think that, the, it, you know, the, look, we, we actually kind of live in a pretty awesome time in terms of like with with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Shmulu and Gazointites and like all these <laughs> wonderful gawker stalker whatever the things are out there you know there's it, it, there's so many places for content and I think that the outlets are going to be there a little bit more for something that's a little different the networks got it in their heads that that comedy goes over here and drama goes over here I don't know why um they didn't call me for my opinions. Yet. I would have given them. I drive by ABC on a daily basis, and I just yell out things. Nobody cares. But uh, I, I, I don't... They, I think it's... it's I think they're, the more corporate that things got... And the more that marketing runs network television, which is kind of what it is. Like, it's not the creative division anymore. There's a lot of, like, we'll have to see what marketing says. And it's like, really? Okay. But they sell tampons, and I'm trying to do a thing about, okay. <laughs> okay, but what if she's wearing a tampon while <laughs> that, is that, does that work? Because that's sort of like, you know, promotion. Um <laughs> But I, I think it's. I think it, it, it became a. Well, how does this? Because I, I think there's a constant um, uh, wanting, a desire to have a, a formula. Like this is the formula for a hit show. And I think if you talk to anybody who's had any sort of success uh, in a show, even a even a failed show, it's it's it, there's no formula. It's alchemy. It's the stars align and there's pixie dust that day, and somehow the right person walked through the door at the right time. And uh, you can put all of the best people together with the best script and give them all the money in the world, and it's it could still suck. And and there's nothing, and that you can't put your finger on why. It's just that's the day that the fairies decided to go somewhere else. You know, it's just that's that's what happens. So uh, I, I think that that search for a, a formula only 
made the process harder, which is why it sort of opened the doors, the floodgates for all these wonderful outlets to, you know, step in and go, all right, well, we'll do, you know, Orange is the New Black and we'll do, you know, House of Cards. We'll do it. You don't want to do it. We'll do it. So I think that that's that's cool. And the, the sort of character-driven story that you tell, I mean, I've heard people say that on Gilmore Girls and Bunheads, the talk is fast, but the journey is slow. So you're getting to know these characters. Um, you have the time to do that. That is happening on Netflix and Hulu. Um, but how does it feel to be this gold standard in banter? I mean, you were the gold standard of banter. You like? Well, I don't know. I mean, Sor- <laughs> I think Sorkin was there first. Yeah, but Whedon's the pretty gold- good. <laughs> I don't know about gold standard. You know, I think that I, I, look, it's it's delightful when anybody says anything about you other than you're revolting. Like, <laughs> you know, as as long as they're not saying, "Oh, please back it up, back it up," I think that's lovely. I. I I think that you, you know, I, I forgot who it was. It may have even been Woody Allen who said, if you believe the good press, you got to believe the bad press, which means if you believe that you're fabulous, then you also have to believe it when they say, and you suck. Right. And I think that uh, you can't live like that or you'll never get out of bed. There won't be any coffee with anybody. Like, there won't be coffee. You just will be laying in bed. Um, so I, I think that it's lovely to be recognized, but you got to go by your own. Uh, internal clock, and you got to have people around you that tell you when you're off in La La Land that you trust, right. and so on and so forth. Um, did any? Did you ever get notes from anyone to ask for the dialogue to be slower? I always wonder this about Whedon and Sorkin and you guys too. Is that a note that was ever given? I didn't get the note to be slower. But the problems that we ran into necessarily were because because we were so fast, our page count was very, very, very long. Right. And so one big thing that they do in Hollywood is they get a script and they immediately turn to the last page to see how long it is. <laughs> Look, they've got, they've got a lot of scripts to read uh, in the tampon department. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> it's very hard to develop tampons and read scripts at the same time. I'm just saying. Because then the tampons are very wide and they have brads in them and it's <laughs> uncomfortable. It's a mistake. Um, but uh, uh, so like on Gilmore, our pilot, you know, and I had never done hour long. I'd come from half hour. And uh, I turned in a pilot that was like 60 something pages. I'm like, oh, you got to get that down. You got to get that. got to get into the 50s. And I kept saying, I, I don't, you know, I can't prove it because I've never done this, but I'm just feeling internally like this is uh, right. Um, and they're like, mm-hmm. so we shot it and we were 15 minutes short. 15 minutes. Like, and that's legally, you cannot put the program on that short and we had to shoot three or four extra scenes to put into the pilot which was kind of a bummer when you have to insert things into something that already kind of works but that so so our our problems and notes came more about how do we fill up an entire thing and you know eventually you figure it out eventually we added you know towns that's how town stuff started and and uh, the troubadours and things like that and music and things like that that help sort of so that it's not all all the time but but it really the, i think the notes were more were less about slow them down i think they were surprised by that and a little bit like god they talk so fast uh, I, um, and i think that works well on some people's ears and other people's ears they don't like that and what do i care you know so um <laughs> But uh, I think it was more about, boy, you know, because I think at one point they said slow him down only to fill time. It's like, well, okay. But see, the way, the way it's written, if you say this stuff slow, it's going to blow. <laughs> that's, that's the problem because it's rhythmic. It's like, it's like music, you know. It's got, a, it's got a beat to it. And if you don't honor the beat, it's going to just sound like lame stuff hanging in the air. So it was, it was more about, like, how do we uh, legally go on the air? Um, so a lot of people that I know, including myself, think, oh, that's how, I, that's how my friends talk. We talk that way. We talk that way all the time. But getting, having conversations and getting that on the page is very difficult. When you write dialogue, is it sort of one and done? You just vomit it onto the page, and then you edit a little, and it's done? Or is it... Look. Come on. <laughs> really? From my own husband, heckling. Heckling and mocking. <laughs> Vomited on the page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. Um, 
Yes. No. Um, uh, you know, it, weirdly, uh, it comes in in spurts, and a lot of times it comes out in the room when we're actually um, pitching. And one of our big things was trying to figure out because sometimes I get into sometimes. Not a lot, not all the time. I get into some sort of groove where it's sort of like, oh, and I see this run and I hear it and I'll just sort of pitch it out. But I will forget it the minute that I've pitched it out. So it's it was sort of like either people had to type really fast, we tried tape recorders, we tried many people take it was just it was it was a difficult process. But a lot of it just you know, the thing is if you know what your scene is and you really, really know your characters and you really, really hear them, you kind of it just kinda of happens. And it's it's a mysterious process and you know, luckily Lorelai and Rory and Emily and Richard it, it just it's when you get them in your head, you kind of like know well Richard's gonna respond like this and Lorelai's gonna break in there and she's not going to let him say this for too long because she's going to jump in so it sort of kind of you know happens so I want to talk about um, just women in television right now and writing for women Um, Marta Kaufman we did this panel on the plane and she talked about the struggles of finding great parts for actresses and why are so many people afraid to write for women right now what you know, so what are your thoughts on what's going on with television right now? I mean, there are a lot of great parts starting to be written for women, but they are on Netflix, they're on Hulu. Why is, you know, what's going on with women in television right now? Well, I, look, um, I don't know that people are afraid to write for women. I I think that people try. You know, you there's there's a there's a guard there to get past, and the guard has done testing, and there's uh, TVQ quotients, and there's oh she's not going to be likable, and and I think that it's a lot of it is that a lot of this is the perception and the trying to. project what they think the audience is going to want or say, which, you know, the audiences have actually never gone their way, you know what I mean? Like, they, if they like something, they like it, and if they don't, they don't. Right. So, uh, I, I think that as far as uh, network television goes, there's, for everything, and it's, I don't even just think it's parts for women, because if you really break it down... There's no good parts for men on network television. You know what I mean? Because men, for a while, they became like, if they're sensitive men, then they're all crying and sitting around at a bar talking about their problems, which fucking men don't do. You know, so we're changing men to make them women, and then they and then they think making women tough is giving them a gun, even though they all look like supermodels and like the gun is so heavy, it's like I can't hold this up. <laughs> Whatever, like you know, there's, there's, whatever. Not one of those women can take a punch. So, you, 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 and I think again, it's marketing driven. It's like if women talk too loud, that's like, oh, she's so unlikable because she's talking like, well, she's mad. Like when you get angry, you talk loud. I know, but could she not be so angry? <laughs> um, so I, I think that that. Yes, there's that problem on network television. There will always be that problem on network television. Every now and then, a Roseanne gets through. You know, that just takes the world by storm. Um, I think that there are great parts being written for women. Are they all written on, on network television? No. But, you know, we got options now. And maybe when enough people are not watching network television, they'll say, hey, maybe the, the girl with the gun should, you know, be able to hold it. You know, I don't know. It's a girl who's not traditionally, because you, you look at, you know, could The Sopranos have been done on network television? No. They never would have cast James Gandolfini on network television, ever. Not pretty enough. He's too fat. You know, so it goes both ways. You know, network has a perception of pretty people doing pretty things, and every now and then there's blood. You know, and like that's kind of that's 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 the rule. And I I hope that it will uh, change. Uh, I I don't know. You know, it's I think I think that they they're seeing their world shrink. You know, Empire comes on, and suddenly, you know, for, for for years, if you tried to pitch a black show, they'd be like, they wouldn't want to tell you they don't want to put it on. They wouldn't put it on. Empire comes on, and suddenly, it's taken over the entire world, and everybody's going, oh, oh, wait a minute, hold on, we need, we we need, we need these kind of shows. There's an audience out there. It's like, yes, you fucking assholes. <laughs> that audience has been there forever. They didn't just exist. It's the same thing like when they put, they put a woman's movie out, and all the women go to see, like, oh my god, women want to go to movies. We all go to movies. <laughs> Screaming and 
know, you just got to keep, you know, banging at the gate. This is, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody, you know, I'll drive by ABC again when I get home. <laughs> Women's parks, fuckers! <laughs> is the way Marta said it. No, it was exactly the same. She was drinking vodka. (laughs) So, I mean, to that point, this is a great time for funny women, and it did, a lot of it did start on, well, it started on TV, it started on the big screen. You have Tina, you have Amy Poehler, Kristen Wiig, Amy Schumer, Melissa McCarthy, thanks to you. Um... (laughs) Melissa! To get Melissa, I had to fight. They said no initially. They weren't sure. It wasn't like people didn't like her, but she was a different energy. She was a different kind of chick, you know? And, and the part was just written for a, a woman. It wasn't, there was no body type. There was, no, there was nothing like specific about it. It was like, I need someone funny who can really act. Because just funny doesn't get me anything because I need her to be able to cry and have a heartbreak and get her heart broken and be in a relationship. So it was, it was, a, it was a tricky sell, and it took a while. And, and I knew it. Yeah. So she walked in the door. She, she, I think she came from Groundlings. She walked in the door. She auditioned. She went back to Groundlings. And, and I'm like, look, what we got to have. Did you see what just walked in the door? Like, we get a chance to, hmm, it took a while. It took a while. Everybody came around. It just, it took a, it took a few shows. But, it, you know, she is different. And different is sometimes not the easiest thing to embrace. But that's true of life. So if we want people to embrace more Melissa McCarthy's and more complicated parts and Mireille Enos, who I think people don't even know what that woman can do. She, can, she does more than walk around the sweater and the killing. She's <laughs> phenomenally talented. You know, it's just we got to keep putting them out there. we got to keep writing the parts. we got to keep fighting the fights. we got to keep willing to be fired to say you're wrong, Mr. Person with money. <laughs> Give me money. I'll prove it. You know, it's, it's, it's a fight. But anything worth doing is a fight. If you don't have to fight for it, it it's, it's actually not that not, not worth doing. If you didn't have to fight really hard for something great, it may, it may not be that great. Do you think that, you know... Shows about female camaraderie have faded a bit, too. Um, Do you think if someone fought and got one of those on the air right now, it would succeed? Uh, Well, I I, I got on the air where? Let's say network. Yes, I think anything that's good is going to succeed. I really do. I think if anything is good and has the support, it's going to succeed. You got to have the support. You got to have the, the the machine behind you. If the machine is behind you, they then it's going to happen because if people are offered quality over crap, they're going to choose quality. They just are. You know, people have different standards of what quality is. Some people like highbrow. Some people like lowbrow. They're still both equally viable. But I think, yeah, I think if it's if it's put out there, it just has to get past the guard gate. It's a big guard gate. You got to get through. I'm going to take a little pause before I ask this next question because I don't have a watch on and I want to have time for you guys to ask questions. So if it happens to be around 1040 and someone, it's 1044. So I'm going to ask one big question and then I'm going to let you guys ask some. Why do you write? Because oh, I have no other transferable skills, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it's a very, it's a, that's a very simple. I didn't go to college. I don't, I don't know what I would be. I would, I don't know what I would do. I, I couldn't be. I couldn't work at a coffee shop. I, I have nothing else in the world. I am remotely qualified to do. You know what? I lied. I have one more question for myself, actually. Since you just produced Violet, you're a big musical theater fan. I'm a huge musical theater fan. You have Kelly Bishop basically in your pocket. She won a Tony. She was the original Sheila, if you guys don't know this, in Chorus Line on Broadway. Are you going to do a musical? I'm writing the book to a musical right now. What is the musical? What? What's the musical? Um, it's, it's, it's just happened, so it's, it, but, but, but you have to understand something with musicals. 
your great great grandchildren will see the musical that I am writing now because it if you think movies take a long time to get produced musicals take years and years and years and years and years I mean when you see a musical and you walk into something like Fun Home and by the way if anybody has not seen Fun Home you must get to New York and see Fun Home it is just it, it's the woman who did the music to Violet who I frankly think so there should be some sort of monument erected to this woman she's Janine Tesori is the best of the best and this is her new and it is just it's everything um, that entertainment should be and and I'll add that if you can't get to New York immediately buy the book Fun Home the graphic novel it's based on by Alison Bechtel and get the cast album because it's amazing it's amazing it's it's unbelievable it, it's just it's one of those it, it's one of those moments where you walk out of the theater and like everything's possible for like a half an hour and then you know and then it goes back but for like a half an hour the whole world is possible um, but you know th- these things they change just take, so when you see something really beautiful on stage, appreciate it even more because the work and commitment that went into it is it's it's theater people. There's nothing like them. They are like um, I don't know how they exist because they just are the hardest working, most committed purely for the love and the art of it and yes at the end of the day if you get to make a buck mazel tov but boy you can't be in it for a buck being in theater because it's just not about that it's about really really doing something beautiful and different and creative for the masses it's it's an it's an amazing art form it's my favorite art form and are you doing something is it original or is it based on it's original all right. Well, so, I mean, it's based on a movie that nobody would have seen because it's a, a it's a it's not an American movie and um, and it's nothing like the it's original. I'm just gonna go. It's original. Fuck it. It's original. <laughs> okay. So I know that there are gonna be a million questions, but gosh, you're up front. Sorry. Here. Oh, you know what? You could probably yell. It's a small room, right? Did you write your relationship with your own mother into the show of Gilmore Girls? And what's this fascination you have with coffee? Okay, first of all, do you want me to be able to go home for Christmas? Because I'm just, I'm just asking you, like, how much? No, I mean, my, no, of course not. I mean, you, you, everything that you do informs what you write. Um, uh, I think more of Lorelai a little bit is a little bit more my stream of consciousness and kind of everything I was reading Lorelai had to read and uh, and the coffee thing weirdly came because uh, I just they talk so goddamn fast it's like and I and it's cold and when when we first went to Toronto it was like really cold and like you get up in the morning and it's that delicious cup of coffee and it smells good and it's sort of like there's something that will always be warm and comforting for you and it may not be human companionship and it it, it may not be mental health it, it, but there will be coffee. There will always somewhere be coffee. So enjoy the coffee. Oh, gosh. Um, in the pinkish on the end? Yeah, you stand up so we can hear your question. Can you tell us what the final two words were going to be? Okay, there were four words, and uh, no, not yet. Tonight, because maybe she'll say no to revealing them again. Yeah, I, I probably will. Um, I, I, at this point, I'm just like being in a complete asshole. <laughs> there weren't four words, were there? What? Are there really four words? Yes. There have there have been since the very beginning. Oh. 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 Glasses, the hand highest in the air. Yep, yep, waving all over there. Yep. Well, here's the thing about swearing. I love it. Um, I live by it. It's my natural animalistic state. Um, it's my only way of communication. Um, but I... I to me, it's like, it depends on the world that you're writing, because I, I don't know that I would have had Lorelai and Rory walking around going, fuck you, motherfucker, no, fuck you, motherfucker, <laughs> even really fast. That would be odd, an odd relationship. Um, <laughs> 
it's it's always weird watching a network show where like there's like mob people or drug people and they're like screw you it's like <laughs> you know it's a little tricky but um i i think that in if if, if swearing had been allowed there might have been certain m- moments or characters but in general no i actually don't feel like the language our language was about Books and references and music, and I don't think that uh, swearing would have made that big an impact on our show, actually. Wow. Really? <laughs> Is everyone going to uh, disagree with me? Rayma, stand up. Um, can you talk about the casting process for Lauren and Alexis? I can, because it was awful. Um, <laughs> uh, we saw... Anybody who was breathing on any coast and a couple of countries that aren't ours. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, I have a tendency to write on what I call uncastable characters because I, I go through this a lot. Um, uh, and literally, we had, we were gone through the process. Gone through, we, we, Lexus came in. She was just gone to NYU. We were in New York. She walked in. She had a cold. She couldn't have wanted to be there less. She was, like, looking at us like, I hate all of you here because I want to be in bed and I can't breathe. And what are you asking me to do? And I'm thinking, she hates us. I love her. (laughs) So... It was so intriguing because, you know, though she had, like, not done anything and she was very um, raw, there was a, a freshness and an honesty and a, uh, I mean, f- plus the fact, the, you know, the face. I mean, let, let's, not, let's not pretend like, you know, a, a troll walked in and we went, oh, well, we're going to look past the horn. And, you know, she, but, but there was a, a, a real uh, interesting something there. And, they, and we, the, the conversations were literally like either we've made the greatest discovery of our life or we're, we're all going to be fired. It was, it was kind of one or the other. Um, for Lorelai... And there were a couple of other girls that we brought in, skilled girls, very, very good actresses, um, but they were skilled. Like they were, you know, they were, there was something about them that, that felt like they had lived a life. And the, and the important thing about Rory is we wanted her to feel she, she's unvarnished. She's, you know, she just is very, very pure. Lorelai fought really hard to keep her like that. And it was a quality that I think only uh, Alexis had innately when she walked in. We went to network a, a couple of times with Lorelai's. Again, great actresses, really good, but there was just a little something because, you know, Lorelai was not just verbal. She had to be really funny. She had to have a, a bit of a toughness about her because this is somebody who's built a lot of walls and has gone through quite a bit to make sure that, and, and has uh, a lot of, a little bit of baggage that she's been dragging around. Uh, and Lauren actually was a name that came up several times and she was A, committed to another show um, that was in the had been on and they weren't sure if they were going to pick it up and B was on vacation so we literally we went through this entire process and she was on vacation and finally we didn't have anybody and we we called they, we called her agent again and we said is she coming back anytime soon and by the way I had never seen Lauren I didn't know Lauren from anybody I was just taking everybody else's word that this girl is phenomenal um, so she came back from vacation and she walked in the door and she sat down and she ran she walked out and we went and there Lorelai. Like, literally, it was, it was not like, there was no question. It was sort of like, that's her. And luckily, she looked very similar to Alexis with the blue eyes and the beautiful hair. And the, but l- there was just no question. There was no question about who was Emily. And a lot of, again, great actresses came in, and some of the other people who were in the casting session were kind of like, we should bring her back, should we bring her back? And I said, yeah, you can bring them back. <laughs> They're not going to get the part. <laughs> You know, if you, if you want to take the train in again, sure. And we actually, I got into some arguments about it. I said, look, I'll know when she walks in. And then, um, and then Kelly walked in. And she walked in. And she was, see, I told you, she walked in. And it was, it was literally like for Richard, and we always wanted Ed Herman from the very beginning. So Richard, uh, Emily, uh, Lorelai, and Alexis, there, there, there really was not a, there was kind of no question. It was sort of like, it was very clear from, from the get-go. Um, for as a fan of the show, for Lorelai and Rory, who did you want them to be with? 
in, it, it, off, off screen? It's really up to them. <laughs> Can't. Romantic. You know. There was one point where I wanted Lauren to be with David Boreanaz and she wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> We were, at, we were at the upfronts once, and he was wearing, uh, upsettingly, a, a blue, like a pastel blue suit. <laughs> he was an angel. Not in the pastel blue suit, he was an angel. But I kept saying, like, uh, I have to live vicariously through you. You're single. Please go over and fuck him. And she's, and she's like, I, 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 I'm, I have to be on stage in five minutes. I said, it, it, how long could it be? He's in a pastel blue suit. So... Um, <laughs> But as far as I know, uh, it never happened. She did not do that for me. And, um, but uh, in terms of who their character was, uh, I, I, I'm happy that she and Luke went off into the sunset. I think that that's, you know, he, he was her friend and companion. And I think that that is the most, you know, we, we, we lucked out there. Um, it was not planned, and it sort of happened, the chemistry to them. We, we really enjoyed the buddy comedy aspect of them, and then it was like, in life, who would you end up with? You end up with your best friend. Um, as far as uh, Rory's journey goes, I think she had, every relationship she had for me was the right relationship for the period of life she was in. So I, I think that it was a good, it was a good sort of mix. I don't know that I have thought much about <laughs> at this point who, who fictional Rory should be with but, um, um, but I think Alexis is, has chosen very well in her life I don't know how much more time we have but there's no one in here to tell me to stop oh three minutes okay thanks Matt okay so all the way in the back your hand like way up there yeah um, where is Mr. Kim yeah <laughs> underneath a table and a chair. <laughs> He's just rotted away in Kim's antique somewhere. They keep walking by a corner and like, what's that smell? <laughs> Over here? Um, I'm a huge reader, and of course, one of the reasons I love the show is because of the literary aspect of it. So I just want to know, who is your favorite author and or book? Oi. Um... I don't know that I have a favorite book. I was very into Dorothy Parker for a while, but she didn't write enough. Do you know what I mean? And, and after a while, you're like, I want to read. Oh, I've read everything I've done. Why didn't you stop drinking for a week and write something? Um, you know, I love those. I love those Austin chick. I love that. You know, it's so cliche. But, you know, she was the original comic writer for women. You know, her women were funny and tough and spirited and independent in, in, in a time where you, you didn't do that. You couldn't even breathe. You know, you, the things were pushing your boobs up. So um, uh, I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Someone you, on the aisle right there? Yeah? Yeah? Um, so I'm wondering what you're watching and if what are you watching right now? <laughs> of course not. Um, what am I watching? Uh, House Hunters International is awesome. <laughs> it just is. Because half those couples are going to break up the minute that they move there. Because you're like, oh, you're doomed. Why are you moving to Bogota? What's the, you don't speak the language? That's awesome. What an awesome choice. Um... <laughs> Well, we're house of carding it. Um, Game of Thrones has been a bit of a snooze fest this year into the last couple episodes, I have to say. Not enough Dinklage. You're going to lose this girl. <laughs> I need me some Dinklage. Um, which just sounds dirty, right? <laughs> um, uh, Veep. Kind of, kind of digging Veep. Um... Fuck, what else? What else do we watch? Uh, I go back a lot. I rewatch stuff. Uh, oh, oh, Musketeers. No one? Really? Hot guys? England? Swords? Horses? Where's the bad? I freaking love the Musketeers. 
cheers. I love it. BBC America, what can I say? I love it. I love it. I love them all. They're dirty and they haven't bathed ever and they wear leather and they're on horses. I love it. Love it. So after hearing that list, I do have to ask, is there anything else you're working on right now that you can tell us about? Um, I'm writing a pilot for... The delightful Amazon company. Um, they're very, uh, they're nuts over there, and I've got caught in their security door, and I have never let them uh, forget it. <laughs> the first five times, I'm sure they thought it was amusing, and now they're just like, really, she can break the fucking security door again? Because seriously, <laughs> we're Amazon. <laughs> Everything we do is electronic here. Um, but that's what I'm working on right now. So that and the, the musical. Sorry, I had to jump in with my That's okay. question. Um, I think maybe time for one more. Yeah, go ahead. You've used a lot of lesser known or unknown actors. Has there been anybody super famous that's wanted to work with you that you haven't had the opportunity for yet? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got Bill Nye in my sights, but I, I, don't, I don't think he knows who the hell I am. Come on, Bill. Come on over to the dark side. God, no one's stopping us. One more. Uh, all the way in the back. Yeah. I've, some of it. You know, I haven't sat down and, like, binged. I haven't binged it, girls. Um, but uh, weirdly, ABC Family's on a lot. And I, so kind of whatever episode is on, I'll, I'll be like, oh. Especially if it's something, you know, that, like, I haven't, you know, because I always try to, like, if it's if something's on, I catch it to like re, re, you know remember like oh yeah I fucked that up in editing, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, and so then sometimes there's something like a something that I don't remember and I just think oh is it you know it's it's the it's the Alice movie and I'm Julianne Moore or oh no no it's the season seven that's better <laughs> so I, I'm not actually losing my mind. Oh God I don't know no one's coming in um, right ahead yeah. Yep, you? Yep. Uh, what are you currently reading? Uh, the Viv Albertine book. The um, uh, she was uh, in the slits. It was. It's. 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 A, it's actually a really. Even if you don't like, because the punk rock movement was sort of not my. Uh, it was not necessarily my music, but she really is painting a very interesting world of, of, of a young woman in a real male-dominated. Talk about male-dominated. Talk about try to try to be a chick who wants to look cute in the punk rock movement. You know, that takes some some work. But it's a, it's a really well uh, written. It's very uh, very entertaining. Thank you. Uh, on the aisle back there. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, who just turned around. Yep. Me? Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi. Um, hi. Do you have a favorite uh, episode of Gilmore Girls? I don't know that I, I actually, no, I don't have a favorite, but there's like turning, there's, there's certain episodes that like, like Rory's birthday party was a very, like that, there are episodes that sort of clarified stuff for us. Like, oh, that sort of encapsulated everything we're trying to do here with the family drama and the dynamics and it's school and it's, a, and then it seems uh, like it's, it's, it's a big coming together because Emily and Richard go to their house and are part of the party and there's a talk with Emily and Lorelai and it feels like a hug moment and then Emily gets in the car and says, we don't know her at all. That's kind of what our show always was about. So I, I look at episodes like that and I sort of feel like that's, you know, that sort of encapsulates what the show is. And I, I love that show. I love Harvard. The road trip to Harvard is a, was, I love that show. Um, I love the They Shoot Horses. They Shoot Gilmore's, don't they? I love that one. Um, so I've, I'm, I, I'm partial to many of them, but... Do you do you have a favorite line or joke you remember having written? Marta Kaufman, we asked her what was her favorite friend's line she ever wrote, and she said, it's a moo point. <laughs> What's her favorite? Do you have one? Um... I, I was very proud of, for for a weird reason, I don't even know if it's my best joke, but of the, uh, it's like the first 15 minutes of Private Ryan, but at least those guys got to be in France. And I, about a, about an Emily dinner with, and I, 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 I don't know, there was something about the structure of that I was just very proud of. I don't know if it's my best joke, but it had the word France in it. Um, right behind Dan. That's you. Let's stand in front of you. <laughs> If all of the money and all of everything just completely worked out and it was your dream and the show could come back in some form, what form would you most 
what would most excite you? Please say musical. Please say musical. <laughs> it would not be musical. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't put any thought into that. I don't know. I uh, human form. I don't know. I don't really know. I. 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 I I don't know that a movie is... I don't know. I actually don't know. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll think about it, and then uh, next year when we get together for coffee, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you then. So we have to wrap up, but thank you guys for coming. Amy, You're thank you welcome. so much. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.